Welcome. Truly is a blessing to gather among God's people on the Lord's Day. Uh, a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, there is a, uh, a call it a summer Sunday school class starting this morning. Uh, we would encourage you to consider uh, joining, joining us for that. Um, that's going to be in the sanctuary when the bell rings, which is, you know, uh, after you have enough time to get some coffee. Um, after the morning service. Uh, so that will be in here. Jake Vierson, one of our elders, will be leading that and talking about smartphones 
And uh, that's something that is uh, just an unavoidable, ubiquitous part of life today. Uh, so certainly worth thinking about, worth considering together. Um, also note that got a few things going on this week uh, with a bridal shower on Tuesday for Michaela and Ascension Day service at Dutton URC on Thursday. And uh, also, whenever you have opportunity, uh, please sign up children for Vacation Bible School. There's information in the announcement bulletin. There's more information on the table out in the uh, Narthex. And there's also information out there. Um, little cards, really easy to carry in your pocket, hand out to kids in the neighborhood or parents, uh, parents at work. So we'd encourage you to grab a, grab a few of those and, and throw them in your pocket for whatever opportunities God would bring to you. Let's begin our time together by asking that God would bless us and focus our hearts on Him. Let's pray. Father, our lives are so busy, our calendars so packed, and yet you have given us of once a week setting that all aside for an entire day that we might worship you, that we might devote our attention to you and fill the day with worship and with fellowship among your people. Father, we thank you for this rest. And we pray that you would bless our time of rest today, both to refresh us and to bring glory to your name. We pray your blessing upon this time of worship this morning, that all that we do, and indeed all that we think, would be focused upon you. And We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us to worship this morning with these words from Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you. Congregation of our Lord, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You're now His grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from... Amen. Let's sing praise together to the Lord. Number 296. 296 stands as 1, 2, and then 6, 7, and 8.
In Exodus 20, the Lord speaks to us as His people, the people whom He's delivered from slavery. Not just a a physical slavery, but that lasts for the few years of our earthly sojourning, but slavery to sin and Satan, which, had we not been rescued, would have condemned us eternally. Having rescued us, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You nor your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, 
the sea and all that is in them. And he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Jesus beautifully summarized this law by saying you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This, he said, is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Two commands, summarized in ten small numbers. And yet when we properly analyze our hearts, when we honestly evaluate our lives, we see that even this we fail to do. Even this is too much for us, given the corruption with which we're born. And so when we come to God, knowing that he, he did everything necessary to free us from that slavery, and yet we still fall into this sin, we still give in to those desires, we must come humbly, acknowledging that even as those who have been freed from our slavery, we have to rely on Him every day, every moment. Or we will fall into the pit that the enemy made for us. So let's confess together our weakness and our need for His strength and our faith in Him as we look to Christ. We do that by singing together number 94. This is a rendering of the first portion of Psalm 51. We'll sing all four stanzas of number 94. Thank you. 
message of Psalm 51 is not one that's popular today. What's popular today is the message that everyone is inherently good. If you just give them a chance, they'll do the right thing. But we, if we honestly evaluate our hearts, we know that's a lie. The law leaves us bare. Given the opportunity, each one of us will do what's wrong. We'll do what's rebellious against God. But God is merciful. And His mercy abounds. Colossians 2 tells us, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Listen, as long as we walk in us, as long as we rest in us, we have no reason for thanksgiving, no reason for joy, no reason for optimism, because we will fail us. But Christ will never fail us. Even when we stumble, even when we fall, He lifts us up. He carries us onward. And so He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's our hope. That's our confidence. Not what we have done, but what He has done. And He will never let us down. It's in that Confidence that we're able to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, before we do, we have a couple of prayer concerns to announce, but also a, uh, a note of joy. Today we welcome the, the Blau family, Rick and Kimberly and Katie, and uh, we welcome you. We're thankful that you can be among us. They come to us from Walker URC. Uh, we pray that, that God would bless you all here as part of the church family, and that he would make you to be a blessing to the church. Um, if you've not met the Blouse, please take the opportunity to do so over coffee or, uh, or later on. Um, in addition, we need to be praying um, for a few things. We had some prayer concerns noted this past week. Bruce and Linda both continue to seek healing. Bruce from his surgery, Linda from the, the sores that flared up again. We uh, are thankful to note that they both experienced healing, which is a blessing. Um, we prayed last week for Jamie for her um, scan that she was to have last week, and the news was encouraging there that there's no new cancer, that the few remaining spots that showed up on the scan are continuing to shrink. Um, and we had a sudden prayer concern for Megan, um, who came down with appendicitis last week, 
um, which is always serious, but especially when you're pregnant. Um, but by God's healing mercy and by the, uh, the grace that He was able to give to her medical team, she was able to have surgery for that. Um, and both she and baby continue to do well and, and are able to be here with us. So what a blessing. Um, in addition, we have classes on Tuesday. Uh, please be in prayer for Chadas Koskin. He is a recent graduate of Puritan Reformed Seminary who is hoping to serve as a missionary in his hometown in Turkey. Um, he is from the town that in the Bible is mentioned as Smyrna. Um, and, of course, we had a tornado north of us by a few hours. Uh, so please keep the folks of Gaylord in your prayers. With that, let's pray. Father, as we gather this day, and we have so much on our minds, so much on our hearts, it is such a blessing to know that our hope rests not in us, but in You. Not on what we have done or what we will do, but on what Christ has done for us. And He hasn't just saved us that we might get into heaven, but, but through Christ You have brought us into a church family where we have mutual encouragement and opportunities to serve one another. Where we can weep with those who weep and laugh with those who rejoice. We're so thankful that You've made us part of the church family. We pray that You would bless this congregation that You have gathered. Thank You for bringing the blouse among us. We pray that You would bless them richly as members of this congregation. That You would use us to strengthen and encourage them. And that You would use their gifts to bless us as well. And Lord, we pray that You would continue to bless the, uh, the other visitors that are among us. Who have been among us, some of them for, for quite a period of time. Lord, we thank You for them. We pray that You would continue to knit together and build up this congregation that You have gathered together. That You would enable us to serve each other. To encourage each other. To be honest with each other about our needs and our failings and our, our triumphs and our joys. That through the love and the care and the concern of our brothers and sisters, we might experience Your love, Your care, Your blessing. Lord, we thank You for that. For by means of the, the church family, You put flesh on Your promise of love to us. You enable us to feel in their embrace Your love. What a blessing to us. Father, we pray that You would continue to provide healing and strength and help to those who are in need. It's such a, such a blessing to be able to see Megan with us this morning and to hear the good news of Jamie's recent scan and, and of Bruce's and Linda's continued healing. Lord, we, we feel as though there has been so much hurt and so much pain. We know there are others among us who are dealing with, uh, with wounds and hurts, who live with aches and pains and physical struggles day by day. And those who who wrestle with depression and anxiety and, and strife within their families. Lord, were we left to ourselves to deal with these things? 
Oh, how hard that would be. Impossible, in fact. And yet you give us the assurance that you're with us, that you are working through all of this, that your grace is sufficient for every day's challenges. And then you surround us with brothers and sisters who share our grief, who tell of your deliverance for them, who allow us to weep and and grieve, but who also lift us up in prayer and with an embrace. Father, we are so blessed. Continue to meet the needs of your people. Continue to provide healing and help and strength for those needs that have been made known and also for others that have not been mentioned. Help us to encourage and strengthen each other. Bless those who grieve with the the comfort of Christ. Bless those who struggle with the strength that only you can provide. And give us each day cause to rejoice as we see your hand at work in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and our sisters. Father, we thank you for providing encouragement to us, for giving us children in the womb who are coming closer and closer to their date of birth, children being fostered and being adopted, brought into the covenant community in a very similar way to how we were brought into a relationship with you. Father, we rejoice in the marriages that are being prepared for and the way that you knit people together who are unique individuals and you make them one flesh and for marriages that are being strengthened by your word and your spirit and and the hard work of mutual discipleship. Father, we pray that you would continue to do these amazing works among us so that our eyes can see your perfect care, your perfect provision. And Lord, beyond this congregation, we pray for our classes and the churches of the classes. We ask that you would bless the delegates as they gather on Tuesday, that they would have wisdom and unity in the decisions that they make, in the the business that they transact. We pray especially for Chadash as he prepares for his examination. Give him good preparation in the time remaining to him, but especially, Lord, we pray that you would give him the faith to trust in you for the recall that he needs, that he would give a good account of how you have prepared him, how you have equipped him for the work of ministry. And we pray for uh, his continued preparations as he longs to go back to Turkey and, and bring the gospel there, Lord, Prepare his steps to that end. Lord, we pray for the congregations of your church here in Classes, Michigan. Lord, we ask that you would bless each congregation according to their needs. We know that several of our churches are without ministers. And that puts an extra burden on their elders and their deacons. We pray that you would strengthen and encourage them. And that you would provide for them ministers at precisely the time that you have ordained. In precisely the way you have ordained for their strengthening and their encouragement. We pray for others that are dealing with difficult discipline matters. 
and that are wrestling with opportunities and, and challenges for reaching out into the community. We pray that You would bless these opportunities to bring Your Word to bear on the lives of those who are in need. And we pray that You would enable us to strengthen and support one another as churches. Building each other up, strengthening, encouraging, reminding each other where our hope is found and, and what's truly important. And we pray, Father, for Your church throughout this state, throughout this land, that we would be able to take up opportunities to proclaim Your truth and the comfort that comes in serving the omnipotent God. We pray for the folks in Gaylord as they are recovering from, beginning to recover from this tornado. Lord, there's been so much devastation, even loss of life. But we pray that in this time of struggle, You would show many there your faithfulness and your trustworthiness. That You would enable them to see that You are able to more than compensate for what is lost. That You are able to comfort those who mourn. That You are able to rebuild what has been torn down. And we pray that in this time, many would be drawn to You to find from You the hope and the strength they need. And Lord, we pray this throughout our nation. We live in an age of unprecedented unbelief in our land. Lord, we pray that You would equip the church to minister to that unbelief. Because with all of that unbelief, there is desperation. There is misery untold. There is grief and depression and anxiety and mental illness and loneliness, the likes of which our nation has never known because of the unbelief that has left a gaping hole in the hearts of so many. Lord, we pray that You would open the heart of Your church to those who are living in that darkness. We pray that You would enable Your people to have the boldness and the courage and the love to share the truth of Your Word with those who are without. To that end, Lord, bless the preaching of the Word that we hear this day, both this evening and this morning. Allow Your Word to be planted deep within our hearts that we might have something to sow in the, the soil that You set before us. And Lord, we ask that You would equip Your church throughout this land and throughout this world in like manner. That Your people might be equipped and also eager to bring the truth to those who are desperately in need. And now Lord, we ask that You would be glorified through this Your people. That You would knit us together and draw us close to You. And that when we go forth, we would go forth with joy and with celebrating. Knowing that we have been privileged to meet with the Almighty God. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, um, we're going to look at a few portions of God's Word that talk about the place of our children among us. And it's wonderful that in the Psalms, we find this call repeatedly to share with the younger generation the knowledge of what has been seen by the older generations. The beginning of Psalm 78 speaks of that. Psalm 78 talks about God's 
mercy and His provision um, throughout the years of Israel. But right at the beginning, it emphasizes that it's the calling of Israel, it's our calling to tell those younger generations what we've seen, what we've experienced, what God has done. So let's sing that. Let's acknowledge that together as we sing number 150. Let children hear the mighty deeds. Last week, we began looking at the truth of Scripture that's summarized in Article 34 of our Belgic Confession. This morning, we plan to continue that study, continue considering uh, the significance of baptism for the church. But first, I'd like to read with you from two brief passages. First, from Acts chapter 2, and then from Luke 18. Now, Acts 2, this is talking about Pentecost the day on which God poured out His Holy Spirit upon the church in, in all of His fullness, in, in a, a manner unprecedented. Now, as we come to what I'd like to read, starting in verse 36, we're, we're kind of entering into almost the conclusion of a brief sermon by Peter. The crowds of Jews had been gathered, if I might set the scene. They had been gathered for the, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. They saw the effects of the Holy Spirit being, pour, being poured out upon the church, and they were dumbfounded by that, because they're, all, they're from all over the Roman Empire, and they're hearing these people speak to them about the glory of God, and speaking in the regional languages and dialects from all the places where they had come. And they're struck by that, because these are kind of backwoods folks. These are Galileans. They're not people that they expect to be cosmopolitan enough to be able to speak in all these languages and dialects. And that leads Peter to have the opportunity to preach to them about Christ and how Christ came to fulfill all of the promises that were foretold in the Old Testament. And it's at the end of that, in verse 36, that Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him 
both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Amen. Now, Bear that in mind. Looking at another part of the picture that God gives us. Luke 18. Jesus is teaching. This is at the height of His ministry. Crowds are gathering every place where He goes. Both to see the works, the wonders that He performs, but also to hear the words. Because He teaches in a manner that was unheard of to them. With authority, not relying on the words of the scribes of old, but preaching on his own authority, which was something unheard of among the Jews. And it's at that time, Luke tells us in in chapter 18, starting in verse 15, it's at that time that they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Amen. Now, in light of those passages, and many like them, our confession says, Therefore we detest the error of the Anabaptists, who are not content with the one only baptism they have once received, and moreover condemn the baptism of the infants of believers, whom we believe ought to be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant, as the children in Israel formerly were circumcised upon the same promises which are made unto our children. And indeed, Christ shed his blood no less for the washing of the children of believers than for adult persons, and therefore they ought to receive the sign and sacrament of that which Christ has done for them as the Lord commanded in the law that they should be made partakers of the sacrament of Christ's suffering and death shortly after they were born, by offering for them a lamb, which was a sacrament of Jesus Christ. Moreover, what circumcision was to the Jews, baptism is to our children. And for this reason, St. Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, I... I think pretty much every Christian gets the basic idea of baptism as a sign of what God promises to us. It's a pretty clear sign, a pretty understandable lesson. Water cleans the dirt from our bodies. Jesus' blood cleans the defilement from our souls. That is a visible lesson that every one of us can grasp. And as a seal, as an assurance, the water is real. Just as real as the blood of Christ that cleanses us. We can touch, we can feel, we can, we can rely on that water. And in the same manner we can rely on the work of Christ to cleanse us, to reconcile us, to bring us near. Rare indeed is the believer who doesn't get the sign and seal, the lesson and the assurance of baptism. But when it comes to children, When it comes to giving that precious sign and seal 
to little ones, that can be a harder lesson for folks to grasp. They don't understand how the sacrament could benefit such little children. It doesn't make sense to them that we baptize children who might later grow up and, and resent the fact that they were given this sacrament at a time when they couldn't understand, when they couldn't consent. To many of our fellow Christians, it seems much more logical to wait until as an adult or a young person, they can request that sacrament for themselves. To many folks, it seems like what we do in baptizing infants, it seems like we reduce this precious sacrament, well, really to a, a tradition, a mere formality. And you know what? They might be right. If we're doing what we do simply because we do it. There are many Christians who baptize their babies because, because that's what we do, right? Because that's what, what was done to me, and, and so I guess that's what I should do also. But you see, if, if that's the reason we bring our children forward for baptism, because because that's what the church does, or because that's what was done to me, or because that's what's expected, well then, we dishonor God. Because we're reducing this precious sacrament, this amazing gift that God has given us, to an empty, empty tradition. To a mere formality. And we must not. It's far too precious, far too important for us to reduce it to a mere tradition. When we considered the first part of this lesson about baptism, we saw that God ordained baptism to identify us as His, as members of His covenant. And as we continue that study, what we see is that God includes our children in that covenant. That's why we baptize them. And that's an important lesson for us to understand. Because if we don't understand that, we won't be able to accurately teach them the significance of what happened when they were baptized and we'll dishonor God because we won't be accurately and, and effectively using this gift He's given us. And so the theme we need to consider this morning is that God includes our children in His covenant. And that means, first of all, that He calls us to mark them with the sign of that covenant. Now our confession says that baptism or that our children should be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant as the children in Israel formerly were circumcised upon the same promises which were made to our children. We've touched on this before, haven't we? Circumcision was a sacrament that looked forward to the coming of Christ. Circumcision was a sacrament done with a shedding of blood which foreshadowed the shedding of Christ's blood. But since Christ has now fulfilled that promise, since Christ has now fulfilled that shedding of blood, circumcision has been abrogated, it's been ended. right? But God has not left us without a sacrament of entrance. That's what circumcision was. If you wanted to become a part of God's people, a part of Israel, that was the sacrament that marked your entrance into Israel, into the church. Now that that sacrament has been done away with, God has given us a different sacrament, and that different sacrament is baptism. Now, kids, do you remember what, I, what I'm referring to when I talk about the covenant? The covenant is a relationship between God and His people. 
Jesus was talking about the covenant when He commanded the church to make disciples. Disciples are those who follow Jesus because they have a relationship with Him. He said, make disciples of all the nations. How? By baptizing them. That's how He brings them in. And then by teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's teaching them to follow Him. Right? So making disciples involves baptizing them in, teaching them to follow. That's the reality reflected in what we read from Acts 2. Peter's talking to Jews there, to Israelites. They're members of the covenant, but from the old era. They're still looking forward, still looking to the, the promises that they hope to see fulfilled. And Peter calls them to recognize, in Jesus, God has fulfilled those promises. All that you look forward to, all that you anticipate, Jesus completed it. And so he calls them to, to receive the sign and seal, the sacrament of fulfillment. And that's baptism. And notice how Peter speaks to them about that. In verse 39, he says, The promise, the promise, what promise? He's talking to Jews. He doesn't have to explain what the promise is. I will be your God, and you will be my people, you and your children after you. Genesis 17, we just read it last week. That's the promise. And that promise is comprehensive, right? I will bring you into a relationship with me. I will do everything necessary to get rid of that wall of hostility between you and me. I will get rid of your sin. I will get rid of your, your defilement. And I will draw you close to me. And who? To whom does that promise come? To you, he says. To the believers. To those who, who rely on Christ. Who long for the fulfillment of those promises. And your children. Because that's how God has always expressed the promise. It's to you and to your children. It's not just to you who believe. To you who've made a conscious choice. But also to the children whom I gave you. And also to those who are far off. This is the new part, right? Now God is spreading His covenant promises beyond Israel to people from every nation. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And so that is... Those are the proper recipients of the sign. Right? You who believe and your children who are brought into that covenant with you and those newcomers whom God is drawing, all of them received the promise, therefore all of them should receive the sign and seal. However, our Baptist friends, and make no mistake, they're our friends, they're fellow Christians, but they'll object that Peter is only speaking here to adults. These were Jews who had traveled far to attend the Feast of Pentecost. Likely there were very few children present. So Peter is speaking here, to folks who are of an age of discernment, calling them to choose to be baptized. Nowhere, they say, nowhere does God command that children receive that sacrament. That's not exactly right, though. Problem is, they're not looking comprehensively enough for, for the command. They're starting from scratch at the New Testament, approaching baptism as though God is doing something brand new. He saved the Israelites this way back then, but now that Jesus has come, He's saving people from the church in this way up here. But He's not. It's not as though the people of Israel were saved through what they did, through their obedience. No, they were saved 
by trusting in Jesus. They were saved by trusting in the one who was to come. They were saved by looking forward to the Messiah. And so are we, looking back to what He has done, looking back to what He has completed, resting on His completed work. Same Savior, same salvation, same mechanism. The only difference is now Jesus has completed it. And therefore, some of the outward acts change because no longer are we looking forward, now we're looking backward. And we heard in Genesis 17, when God gave that sign and seal of the covenant, it was mandatory. All of you and your children, their male children, will receive this sign and seal. And if you don't receive it, you're cut off. Because you've rejected the sign and seal of my promise. When Jesus fulfilled what circumcision promised, the sign was changed. But the promise remained the same. Because the Savior remained the same. And therefore the command remained the same. Remember Peter is talking here in, in Acts 2 to Israelites. He's just given them a new sign and seal of the same covenant promises. If he doesn't want them, if God doesn't want them to give that sacrament to their children, well, somebody's got to tell them because the Israelites were passionate about ensuring that their children knew they were included in the covenant. They were commanded to be passionate. In days to come, when your son asks you, what do you mean by this service, God says, they were to explain the significance of circumcision. They were to explain the significance of Passover. They were to explain the significance of all that happened at the tabernacle. Because the, the promise was for them also. The call to faith was for them also. And that has not changed. And we see that. Acts 16. Those who are far off begin to be called. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They come upon a seller of purple goods, Lydia. And she's a Jew. She turns to the Lord, trusts in the Lord. And we read, she was baptized and her household as well, literally, and all who were hers. And then, shortly thereafter, Paul and Silas get arrested. They end up in jail. But God, in answer to the prayers of the saints, sends an earthquake that opens the jail cell doors, that breaks the, the chains from them. The jailer is distraught. He knows that if the prisoners have escaped, he's going to be held responsible for that. He's going to be killed. So he's ready to just do it himself. He's ready to kill himself. Paul stops him. says, stop, we're all here. It leads to a spiritual conversation. He recognizes the hopelessness of the life he's living, the misery in which he dwells. He says, what do I do? They tell him you need to turn to Christ. Listen, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, you and all who are yours. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. He and all who were his. Were there children present? We don't know. Were there slaves present? No clue. Doesn't matter. You know why it doesn't matter? Because what this is showing us is that the practice from old Israel is carried over into the new church. 
in old Israel, if you came into Israel, if you became part of God's covenant people, you and all who are yours received the sign and seal. Now in the church, you come to Christ and you and all who are yours receive the sign and seal. Same promise, same command. We give the sign of the covenant to all who enter. But on the other hand, if we withheld baptism from our children until they request it, what would we be telling them? I mean, we would be sending them a message. And what would that message be? Wouldn't we be telling them, you need to decide whether to seek the Lord. You need to take that first step. The ball is in your court. That's the message we'd be giving them, right? But is that really the message of the Bible? I mean, God chose and called Abraham when Abraham was still worshiping false gods in Haran. God chose and called Jacob when Jacob was still in the womb. God chose us, called us when we were his enemies, when we were dead in sin. God does not wait for us to, to choose him. He chooses us. He calls us. He works in our hearts, transforms us when we're not only powerless, but we're hateful toward Him. We're His enemies. There is not only nothing in us that, that would be able to choose the Lord, there's nothing in us that wants to choose the Lord, but He softens our hearts. He imparts the message. He draws us to Himself. He's the one who takes the initiative. Remember, our children don't start out neutral. That's the idea you get from our culture, right? Oh, everybody's inherently good. These are people that haven't raised children, evidently. Because every one of us, when we were children, despite our parents' best efforts, we figured out how to sin. We did that all on our own. That was what was in us from the start. The Puritans said it properly. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. That means, according to Romans 5, verse 18, when Adam sinned, we all became guilty. We all became worthy of God's judgment. But beyond that, Adam also gave us his corrupt nature. So that David had to confess in Psalm 51, as we just sang a few minutes ago. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. says, every one of us possesses a heart that is sinful and wicked. So before they could choose to do anything, our children were condemned and corrupt. Their inclination was to reject God and left to their own devices, left to their own selves. That's what they will always choose. But God is gracious. He doesn't leave His people to themselves. And He doesn't just call me and say, the promise is for you. Hope your kids get, up, get along alright. No, He says to us what He said to Abraham and Isaac Jacob and Moses and David and all the saints of old. He says the promise is to you and to your children after you throughout their generations. That I will be God to you and to your children after you. Now live like it. But the initiative is His. He comes to us when we're weak. He comes to us when we're powerless. Understand what that means. The promise is to you and to your children. That means He will reconcile us to Himself. He will overcome our corruption, He will cover over our sin. He will grant to us a righteousness and a holiness that is not ours, that Christ obtained for us. 
He will adopt us and He will send His Holy Spirit to transform us so that we who once reveled in our sin now will begin to choose and to delight in holiness. That's the promise and we can receive that promise only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way, young people, children, hear that, there is no other way to receive those promises, to receive life eternal, to receive purpose and meaning that is endless than in Christ. It was on Christ whom Abraham rested. It was on Christ whom Isaac and Jacob set their hope. Likewise for Moses and Joshua, David, Ezra, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, all of them. They trusted in Christ and so must we. Including our children. Look at Luke 18. At this point in his ministry... Folks, we're starting to see that Jesus is the source of blessing. That's why they brought their children to Him. They had heard always the promises to you and to your children. Now they're seeing that the blessings of the promise are coming through Christ, so they bring their children. The disciples are offended by that. Why? Well, because they don't get it. They're still seeing Jesus as a great teacher. And what can these kids get from teaching? By the way, that's the same logic that sends children out of church to children's church thereby inherently teaching them, this isn't really for you. Jesus isn't yet really for you. May we never. These folks knew better. If Jesus is the source of blessing, if Jesus is the source of the promise, then we need to bring our children to Jesus. The disciples, they're just seeing Jesus as a teacher. They're saying, don't distract the great teacher. But Jesus says, stop it. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God belongs to these, to infants who belong to God's covenant. Let us never forget that. He received us, He marked us as His, He gave us His covenant promises as babies. Children, remember that. When you had no idea what was happening, no concept of your need, God commanded your parents to put the mark of His ownership upon you. The mark of His promise upon you. And now He calls you to believe it. To trust Him. To accept that reality as your identity. Parents, don't forget that. Because they're our kids, right? We want to protect them. We want to guide them. We want to lead them in the way they want to go. And the hardest part about parenting is figuring out that you can't. You might be able to force their compliance for a while outwardly, but you can't force their hearts. Only God can do that. Only God can soften a hard heart. Only God can foster faith where there is none. Mom and dad, you can't make their choices for them. You can teach them and you must. You can urge them and encourage them and you must. But the most powerful thing you can do is acknowledge that you can't do it and pray that God will. But we can pray that with confidence because God claimed them. God put the sign and the seal of His ownership upon them. So teach them about Him. 
Teach them what the promises are. Teach them how they're to receive those promises. What their life should look like if they're following after Christ as disciples. But remember that He's the one that has to do it. And He's promised. But listen, this covenant relationship, it's not a relationship in which we are entirely passive. To some degree, baptism might encourage us to think that. I mean, especially the baptism of an infant. There's nothing that kid is doing, right? He's just laying there, getting wet. But, as our last point shows us, baptism does require of us one thing. The simple faith of a child. We must never, ever, ever forget like circumcision, baptism is not an automatic blessing dispenser. Romans 4, as we recently heard, told us that Abraham was righteous, not because he was circumcised, but because of the faith that he had when he was circumcised. What does Scripture say? This is Romans 4 verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was by faith that he was righteous before God, by faith in the coming Christ, by faith in the promises that God would fulfill. And so later on it says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The sacrament merely demonstrated the reality that he received by faith. And baptism is no different. It's been said we could compare baptism to a check. Kids, you know what a check is? They're becoming a Seldom used thing. But uh, a check is a piece of paper, a special piece of paper that you can use to buy something or to pay a bill. You use it just like money. The thing is, it's not money. A check is a promise of money. I want to buy something that you have. We agree on a price. I write out a check. It goes to this person. It's in this amount. I sign my name to it. If you trust me, that I have the money that check represents, you'll take that check as though it was cash. And I'll take the thing I purchased from you. Right? So it's not the cash. It just represents the cash. That's what baptism is. It's not righteousness. It doesn't make us righteous. But it's the promise of righteousness. It's not Christ. But it's the promise of Christ and all that He has brought. Now the thing about a check, it's really useless if you just... Put it in your pocket. It's only useful if you take it and trade it for what it represents. If you take it and go to the bank, sign the back of it, you give them the check, they give you the cash, right? Likewise, baptism is utterly useless unless we cash it. And we do that by trusting the one it symbolizes, by trusting in the one to whom it points. Unless we trust in Christ, baptism is useless. Unless we rest in Him, believe in Him, have confidence that He did this, not just for others, but also for me, it's useless. Baptism won't save you. Faith in Christ is the path of salvation. And baptism urges us to trust in Him. Scripture reminds us of that time and again. It is by faith that we receive what God has promised. Colossians 2. We heard it just a few minutes ago. 
by faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead, you were raised with Him. Verse 12. Or think on what Jesus said in Luke 18. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How does a child receive the kingdom of God? He certainly can't earn it. He certainly can't work hard to attain it. He simply trusts the one who promises it. He believes that Jesus is enough. In that way alone can we enter the kingdom of God with all its blessings. But in that way, by true faith, by that simple faith that every one of our children is able to exercise, we enter into the kingdom. We receive what was promised. We become the sons and daughters of God. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, let this be the response to your baptism that you exercise every single day. Baptism identified you even when you were a babe in arms as belonging to God in Christ. It says God loves you as His child and will reconcile you to Himself. It said God will cleanse you of all your impurity and transform you into the image of His Son. It said, you will be God's heir, inheriting all things as God's child. Remember that. Each time you think of your baptism, remember that. At the heart of your identity. And then believe the One who promised. And if you do, it will transform everything. It will transform what you think of yourself. It will transform what you think of your place in life. It will transform the way you work and the way you act and the way you think and the way you speak and the way you... Everything. God includes our children in His covenant. He marks them with the sign of His covenant. He promises the salvation of Christ and He requires of them and of us the simple faith of a child. Let us trust Him. Let us believe the One who has promised. And may God be glorified through us. Amen. Father, we thank You that You come to us in our weakness that we might trust in Your strength. We pray that You would enable us to believe Your promise and to rest wholeheartedly in that promise. And we pray, Father, that You would never let us stray, us or our children after us, but that You would draw us close by Your strength, that we might live for You in the identity which You have given us in Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, let's pray that God would do what He has promised. That God would provide what He has extended. As we stand and sing together, number 415, O God, Great Father. Thank you.
Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you provide so richly and so generously to us. Receive now, we pray, the tithes and the offerings that we bring, that through them you might be glorified and our faith might be revealed. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering song this morning is number 247, Forever Settled in the Heavens.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.